Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. We made it to the end of another busy week. But before we fire up our grills or head out for a 4th of July getaway, let's catch up on all the news. It's been pretty smoky the last few days. The Chicago area experiencing dangerous air quality for the third day in a row. Racing fans are gearing up for NASCAR's Chicago debut. NASCAR in Chicago. It's almost here. The fans, they could come on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and just hang out and enjoy the ambiance. And we got a visit from our president. Greeted by Governor Pritzker, Mayor Johnson and Senators Durbin and Duckworth as he ramps up his re-election efforts focusing on the economy. Our panel this week to help us break down those stories and more is Mike Flannery. He's joining us on his last day before retiring as political editor at Fox 32 News. Derek Blakely, former CBS2 Chicago politics reporter, and Ben Kesling, Chicago-based reporter for The Wall Street Journal. All right, driving the news this week, a little event that seemed almost ridiculous to some of us when it was greenlit a year ago. It's arrived. The world's first ever NASCAR street race has taken over downtown Chicago. So let's go around the table and get everyone's thoughts on this spectacle, shall we? Well, you know, they're, uh, it, it, they've sort of set up a course reminiscent of, uh, of, of the Formula One uh, uh, things. I mean, it reminds me of uh, some of those images we've seen from Monte Carlo over the years, you know, and those Europeans, you know, the Euro trash and their big, uh, their big bashes that they hold in concert with that thing. Um, you know, I, I hope, but look, we're committed to it. I hope a, a zillion people come. I know uh, restaurants and hotels need, need the business. Um, I, I hope that people, uh, before, after, even during the race, uh, stop in and, and buy a slice of pizza or a sandwich or have a more yeah. uh, have a more uh, sophisticated meal at some of the uh, great spots. Look, tourism and hospitality is Chicago's number one industry. We are no longer, uh, you know, the city of the big shoulders that Carl Sandburg rhapsodized right, right. about more than a century ago. Uh, uh, hotel workers, restaurant workers. Uh, docents, uh, the museum workers, that's our number one industry, and I hope they get a shot in the arm. This could be potentially a great weekend for all of those folks. Are you excited, Ben? You know, I just wish that the NASCAR uh, track wouldn't be a loop. I wish it would just run all the way up north on Lakeshore Drive so they'd be forced to repave the whole thing properly. (laughs) You know, they've already done some work. If they could just run it through my neighborhood to get rid of all the potholes and repave it, that'd be fantastic. So we all benefit. Hey, you know, uh, well, I I mean, I think the NASCAR uh, NASCAR coming to Chicago brings up that perennial question of when you bring a big event to a city, what benefits are there? Yeah, money comes in, but does it offset all the pains in the rear that mm. uh, that happened to i mean you're shutting down you're shutting down a big slice of the city for the July 4th weekend right and 
for hospitality stuff, yeah, like hotel rooms are, uh, you know, hotel rooms are taken. But does that money go into the Chicago community or does that go to the hoteliers, uh, uh, you know, who who have uh, shareholders elsewhere? Yeah. And I mean, there's always that question of is it worth it? And yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be an, uh, lots of opportunities to go see the get close to the cars, but if you want to actually see the race, yeah, I mean, tickets are uh, not cheap. They are expensive. I think general admission is two hundred and sixty or two hundred eighty bucks, and yeah. it goes up from there. So there are a lot. That's a lot to consider. I mean, Derek, street closures downtown. They've they've left a lot of folks with road rage so far. I got caught up in it earlier this week myself. Uh, more road closures. They arrived just yesterday in anticipation of the race. Is the traffic mayhem worth it to get this event here? Look, we have traffic mayhem every day of the week, and you know I used to work downtown, and um, <clears throat> a lot of on weekends. You know, you, you get the LaSalle Bank Marathon. You can't figure out how to get to your office. Um, this this is typical. Yeah. Um, this is what big cities are for. And, uh, you know, it's bread and circuses. And to a certain extent, it's a very cold, hard dollars and cents calculation. The city had been shut down uh, out of COVID. The hotels were empty. The conventions weren't coming. Uh, those uh, uh, Those tourist dollars weren't flowing. Yeah. And this is what you do. To fill the coffers. We understand when Taylor Swift weekend, um, when we had the big volleyball tournament and the Taylor Swift concert, oh, the yeah. hotels were filled to 98%. So if that the all -time, happens... The all-time record, I believe. Yeah, yeah. If that can be replicated or you can come close to it or close to a LaSalle Bank Marathon weekend where you have the runners and their families packing the hotels and the restaurants... We got to pay the bills. We got to keep the lights yeah. on. Why don't we get Taylor Swift to come back and pledge to fill the <laughs> potholes? That's that's what I'm concerned about. But, but you know what? It's not just um, the Grant Park area that's feeling this NASCAR vibe, right? Event organizers, they actually tried to fuel excitement for the race in other areas of the city. So I'm thinking of Bubba Wallace, right, who's NASCAR's only top-tier black driver. He held this free event at the DuSable Black History Museum. What was happening there, Derek? Well, um, first, he was there with uh, some NASCAR vehicles, and they had uh, a test track for the kids and um, various activities. You know, NASCAR is viewed, um, and I don't know if this is totally accurate, but it's viewed as a lower middle class white uh, sport. And those are the demographics that it's associated with. And like every other sport, it wants to broaden its base. It wants to attract new fans. And that's that's part of the reason they're here. Yeah. To, you know, get to go off the uh, the Daytona track and and uh, uh, to be seen in a new environment. Yeah. I and mean, it, it doesn't have a great track record, to your point, with with the black community. Right. I, I know that it was actually Bubba who called on the organization to, to ban Confederate flags uh, at the racetracks. This was back in uh, 2020 when they finally did it. So uh, y with the event at DuSable, I mean, did it seem like all is forgotten? Well, I wouldn't say all is forgotten, but I think it's a step in the right direction um, because as uh, the director of the DuSable Museum said, you know, there are, there are black kids out here and you, you, you advertise the entire realm of racing, not just... Uh, the cars and the drivers, uh, but the uh, the technology, the engineering, the marketing, yeah. um, everything that goes in to uh, putting on a spectacle like this. And if it inspires a, another kid to, to be the next Bubba Wallace or maybe to be the next yeah. uh, 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 sponsor of a car, 
or to get into the business. I mean, that's what it's for. And that's that's what they want. That's why they wanted to come here. Yeah. Uh, our friends online are chiming in. J.P. Paula says, I heard the Bubba Block Party at DuSable Museum blocks north of 47th Street. Uh, Stephen Ford asks a, a good question. He says, uh, do we know if this was intentionally planned to align with July 4th weekend? Has anyone heard? I don't think it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, I think they knew what weekend it was. I don't understand the question. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, every, you Everybody remembers the uproar when Mayor Lightfoot announced it. Uh, famously, uh, several of the aldermen in and around this the area where the race is being held were t- claimed they were told about uh, 10 or 20 minutes before the mayor's announcement. Um, you know, this was not something uh, she... So th- th- they're very much uh, on the bubble, I think, and, and they're aware of it, uh, hence this outreach. Uh, and I've, I've heard uh, and, and I've seen press releases where they want to have... Uh, reaction from the neighbors after this to see what changes should be made to minimize the disruptions. But uh, Mayor Johnson's made plain, and uh, again, the aldermen uh, now in the post-Lightfoot era who uh, who are in uh, who are allies. They yeah. were not allies of. I'm thinking specifically Brian Hopkins was was very much an anti-Lightfoot guy, but has is, is one of the committee chairs recommended by Brandon Johnson. Um, they're in the loop now, and um, uh, NASCAR's on notice that if if this doesn't pay off for Chicago, there's not going to be another one. That's, this that's is uh, continuing the perennial trend, though, of uh, a mayor making a decision that the next mayor has to carry through with a with a smile and try to try to make it work <laughs> out. Right? Yeah, some people have no choice but to attend the the NASCAR events this weekend, and I'm talking about our men and women in blue. Uh, Chicago Police Interim Superintendent Fred Waller announced that regular days off would be canceled for officers in order to meet the downtown demand. Let's listen. That resources in our neighborhoods would not be affected by large events happening downtown and elsewhere. Residents will see an increased presence with more officers on foot patrols and bike patrols in our downtown areas. So some 900 private security officers will also be working at the race. Uh, there will also be increased police presence downtown. Uh, of course, they're anticipating these large crowds during what we just talked about, the 4th of July weekend. Are you going downtown this weekend, Ben? I will not be going downtown myself. What but, about you, uh, Derek and, and Mike? No, I'm, I'm I will actually not be going downtown. <laughs> and neither am I. Yeah. <laughs> We've reached a consensus. <laughs> nice. right. You know, it's, it, it, this puts me in mind of something that some friends and I have discussed. Um, you know, we do have these street takeovers by these groups of young young drivers uh, who who uh, sort of hijack a street corner and they, they do tricks and, and spin the, the tires and the cars. It, it's occurred to me. If we were to – could the park district create a space for something like this so that there wouldn't be the takeovers at night? I mean, again, I think there's an overlap between the folks who do that and and the NASCAR activities. I think there might be a natural affinity there. Um, and, you know, if, if, if the city were to embrace or, or set up a space where this could be done without being as disruptive, uh, that, that might be an idea that they could pursue. The, uh, the waivers for that would be about 500 pages. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the lawyers tell me. Sounds complicated. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and it's Friday, so we are breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of world-class local journalists. We've got Fox 32's Mike Flannery, Ben Kessling with The Wall Street Journal, and Derek Blakely, who's a former politics reporter with CBS. 
CBS2 Chicago. Don't forget, we're also online. Watch us now at WBEZ's Facebook or YouTube pages. Also, leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in that YouTube chat box, and I may read what you have to say about the stories on the air. All right, time to clear the air about the week's other big story, our bad air quality. I mean, first, anyone concerned that these cars, you know, zooming around at more than 100 miles per hour tomorrow might just make our unhealthy air quality worse? Well, they won't make it better, but, um, you know, it's a small drop in the bucket. If you're shutting down Lakeshore Drive and you've got uh, uh, these small number of cars, it might actually reduce the overall amount of air pollution um, in the city. But, uh, you know, the the essential problem is, is, is the Canadian smoke. Uh, easy on the Canadians, okay? Oh, well, but, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't mean to take it personally. Wildfires in Canada, yes, they caused uh, Chicago to have the world's worst air quality on Tuesday. I mean, have any of you seen our air this bad before? Never. I never have. No. Yeah. I never have. It really feels like the planet is sick. You wrote about this, uh, Ben, about the fires uh, did, for the yeah. Wall Street Journal. I mean, what did you learn? Well, uh, very interesting thing is that there was, generally speaking, uh, so in places like the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, places in Canada, uh, there was so much, uh, so much precipitation in the in the late winter that groundwater is is pretty good. But then there's been an onslaught of a drought, a high pressure system that sort of sat over the middle of the continent, which has uh, both caused low humidity and no rain. So uh, there's no no water coming down the plants and the the environment itself is sapping the moisture from the from these things. So it's creating this like tinderbox of an environment. Uh, and that's what that's part of the reason why the, there's such you know, we're such pro- so prone yeah. to wildfires right now. So what, this was, as you were working on this air quality story, I mean, were the scientists pointing to it then as evidence of our climate change crisis? I think that climate change is a given at this point. But um, there are, you know, anomalous factors in, in any time you're dealing with weather. This could just be a horrible, a horrible weather snap that we're going through. Yeah. And that could, poss- that could be it, right? And uh, I think that something we need to look at is not just the weather itself, uh, but how do we deal with this stuff? As, as an international community, uh, how do we deal with firefighting? How do we deal with uh, giving resources to each other? There's a, real, a really interesting bunch of compacts that uh, some of the Great Lakes state, Great Lakes state States and Canadian provinces have to do firefighting, but a lot of them are sort of informal networks that are that are held together with handshakes. And if somebody is dealing with uh, if multiple provinces of states are dealing with wildfires, there's not a lot of extra help to go around. So yeah. it's worth it's worth looking at the way that we fight fires and manage manage forests themselves. The yes, whole issue there. of managing air quality. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't build a wall. <laughs> it, it's it's a tough problem. Yeah. Um, you know, if one jurisdiction um, isn't uh, managing the, the the situation the way you would like, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's right. And I mean, there's and so you have to it, just like when we deal across international borders or in places like the Arctic or the Antarctic, like it, communities and uh, countries have to learn how to deal with these things together to mitigate some of these uh, some of these negative effects. Yeah. Our uh, viewer, Stephen, on YouTube says, I have bad allergies, especially to campfire smoke. So the air quality this week's been really difficult for me. Wow, Stephen. I mean, I've, I felt it on Tuesday particularly. Um, and it took 
a second. Like it was just this slow seeping into my lungs where like throughout the day my chest started hurting and then my throat was kind of scratchy and then my eyes were burning. It was just kind of this progression. And I got a, I got a press release from the Lung Association maybe, uh, somebody in the last few days saying that uh, standing outside for – 10 hours or something was equivalent to, in this smoke, smoking 12 cigarettes. That's right, a half a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah, that, that came from a lung specialist out of Northwestern uh, who we, we had on the program earlier this week. I, I mean, we've gotten used to seeing these wildfires out west, but from what you learned, Ben, uh, can we expect that we might see more across the country then in the future? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, it it's the... Wildfires are not going away. Again, going back to sort of climate change yeah. and whatnot, um, whatever the cause of climate change may be, the climate is changing. And that is going to cause anomalous weather patterns. It's going to cause uh, more more, more fires. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, again, going back to the manpower uh, aspect of this, how what are we doing to fund how we deal with this stuff? Like, how's the Department of the Interior it, uh, looking to, uh, to 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 take care of some of this and 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 deal with? But the it's happening, and it's happening in the northern latitudes all mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, Siberia, uh, uh, eastern Siberia, and central Siberia has, over the last several years, had unprecedented just fires, uh, fires, uh, forest fires, and tundra fires that have uh, covered dozens of square miles at a time, mm. um, and it's not, you know, it's it's all over the world. Chris White on YouTube says it's like we all live next to General Iron this week. Yeah, I, interestingly enough, I, I cover I cover a lot of military and veteran stuff, and uh, there's this sort of uh, commentary going around with the veteran community to say, hey. This is this is a reminder why we need to care about things like burn pits and like mm-hmm. the way that that veterans have breathed, you know breathe all this stuff in combat zones and we need to we take for granted the the you know the the dulcet breezes coming off of the lake mm-hmm. and and we have great air quality and it's a good reminder I think to everybody like hey this isn't this isn't here guaranteed to us and we need to be stewards yeah. and do a, do a better job of taking care of this. I place. was even happy to see rain this week too. I was like, come on, come on down, right? Uh, a few folks started wearing masks again. I was one of them. What about you guys? Did you grab your COVID masks out of the vault? I did not, but uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, uh, look askance at anybody who did. They had good reason to yeah, do it. Yeah, for know? sure. And closing your windows, avoiding being outside. Did we do all that? I, I did that. I, I did didn't that. do the masks. <laughs> I didn't do that, but uh, I, I did close all the windows and I turned on uh, the, the air purifier that, that, we, yeah. that we got during the COVID season where, for when people came over. I've had that going over time. President Biden was in town Wednesday for a whirlwind visit. He gave a speech at the old post office building, highlighting his so-called Bidenomics plan. Let's listen. I knew we couldn't go back to the same failed policies when I ran. So I came into office determined to change the economic direction of this country, to move from trickle-down economics to what everyone on Wall Street Journal and Financial Times began to call Bidenomics. I didn't come up with the name. I really didn't. I now claim it, but... They're the ones who use the first. So he he's giving you the credit, Ben. Hey, I didn't come up with the name, right? <laughs> it was your editorial page. You're, you're yeah, with the Wall Street Journal. So, okay, so all right, fine. You, as our resident expert today, give us some insight into the use of the term Bidenomics, will you? Okay, so I, I think it's – well, first of all uh, – I don't know if the Democrats and if the Biden administration have been flogging 
Bidenomics enough. Uh, there's not it doesn't get a lot of coverage, the, the, um, the Inflation Reduction Act and what the investments have come from that. It really doesn't get a whole lot of coverage in the states. Like if, if you look at uh, – if you read newspapers like Financial Times, right, mm-hmm. that does a lot of European coverage, you'll see more – I feel like you see more coverage of IRA investment there because they focus on the European companies that are quite upset at the incentives and the investments that are available in the United States right now. We're seeing a lot of that in the upper Midwest, right, like Michigan – with uh, with battery investment and EV stuff, mm. um, Indiana, whatnot. Uh, but Bidenomics uh, is is the administration's sort of effort to put a, a label on something to be able to point to it and say, here are our successes, rather than getting um, rather than getting picked apart for not having any. But at the same time, when you put a label on something to say, here's what we've done, it also gives everybody a target to say, mm. uh, that's uh, that's Bidenomics, and you give you sort of give the give the boogeyman a name. Right? And what you're really talking about is incentive various industries that you want to see grow in America, whether it's uh, semiconductors or uh, electronic vehicles right. or uh, solar panels or, or whatever. Right. As one of my colleagues, uh, uh, Greg Ipp, wrote about, uh, wrote about a lot of this is at the beginning of the, of the administration, Biden was focused on a lot of macroeconomic issues, right, dealing with inflation, dealing with uh, unemployment, trying to get federal reserve policy uh, all untangled. And now he's pointing to some of these these microeconomic things. Yeah. What and, else did he have to say Wednesday? Uh, well, I mean, well, the bigger picture really is looking at Bidenomics and how they're building out the, the selling of this is it is going to build stuff, right? It's the infrastructure. Like mm-hmm. uh, I've seen what we have. The, the big joke was under under the pr- previous administration. Every week was infrastructure week, right? Yes. But it seemed like there was, you know, what was delivered on that? Um, and the, the Biden administration is now picking up and saying, we're going to start delivering on this. But the problem with doing infrastructure is it takes a long time to uh, to build infrastructure, so mm-hmm. you can start th- start those programs, but it doesn't, you know, put a chicken in the pot for uh, for for you know normal consumers, and it takes a while to see things. Like I'm not going to see those potholes filled uh, in you know out in front of my house for a while, even if the even if that's moving. So well, I, I think it's important. I, 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 I'm just fascinated by the public perceptions. Um, the uh, I mean, here in Illinois, we had uh, in May the for the the last numbers we have for unemployment. Um, it it, uh, it was uh, at 3.2 percent here in the Chicago metro uh, on unemployment, um, which is the all-time low for the month of May. Um, uh, now, there are obviously pockets of problems, young black men uh, in the city, in some parts of the city, 50 uh, percent plus unemployment. It's not to gainsay that, but – Nonetheless, the overall number is, you know, I mean, at 3.2, that's an all-time record low. Nationally, I think it's around, it's hovering 3.0, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, And in fact, black unemployment is at an all-time low. Yeah. Which has not been talked about almost at all. Correct. And, um, but when you take the, you look at the voter opinion surveys, only... 36% 36% of American voters say they think the economy is, is excellent or even good. Um, and only 24% give Biden, uh, say they approve of Biden's handling of the yeah, economy. Yeah, his rating is low on that. I mean, to, to go back to the macroeconomic picture, though, is, is unemployment comes down. Like, if you look at the Federal Reserve, uh, the bank's mandate, and we have you know, the Federal Reserve of, of Chicago here doing, doing a lot of this work. Um, the mandate is price stability, right, and, and employment. Those two things go hand in hand, right? So as that employment number comes down, 
price stability or inflation yeah. uh, starts starts to get out of whack, and that's that's something that. And yet, the that, new number was uh, the, the in the most closely watched index that the Fed s- says they watch. It, it was the last month only 0.1 percent. I mean, which is 1.2 percent on an annualized basis. I mean, we're actually that's substantially below the two percent mm. target. Mm-hmm. So you know, it, uh, it, and 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 then I'm I'm fascinated too by the. Uh, by the term Bidenomics. I mean, it was coined by your by your, your employer's editorial page. <laughs> not, it, me, it, not me. Not you me. know, it was it, it's a term that, that was intended as an insult because because they see Bidenomics representing uh, uh, this free spending, wasteful spending, uh, and and assert that it's been linked to inflation. Um, but yeah. now, just like. Obamacare was originally intended as an insult. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't we all remember Reaganomics? Well, it began apparently with Nixonomics. <laughs> as long as you, ha- as long as the president has an N as the last letter of his it name or her name, Millard Fillmoreonomics. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, Biden was also here for two fundraisers, right? So, so give us the details of that, Mike. Well, I mean, the the the, the low end tickets I think were thirty three hundred bucks, and uh, and then the sky's always the limit after that. Wow. Um, if you wanted, to, I think it was twenty five thousand or or more. If you wanted to get a picture with the president. Does that come with a NASCAR ticket? <laughs> and this was hosted by Governor Pritzker and his wife. His wife, MK, and uh, uh, and uh, former Mayor Lightfoot was there. Brandon Johnson, the uh, current mayor, obviously was there. And, 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 and a host of uh, uh, not just Dick Durbin and, and Tammy Duckworth, but a host of other uh, public officials. And then there was a more private uh, reception uh, after that. And believe me, I think in terms of what the White House was thinking and the political operation around President Biden, that was the real purpose of of this visit was to collect those big bucks from those fundraisers. Mm-hmm. But I like you, Ben, I, I found the speech provocative, especially when you look at those numbers and then you look at the public perception. I mean, the president's got a heavy lift here. People are not happy, and I, and I think that you know there's perhaps there's a lag time in the public perceptions. People are still. Mm. I, I, I had somebody the other day complaining about egg prices, uh, and because I had gone to the store, I, they've fallen by seventy percent from the high, um, but. People still remember that. That's yeah. That's very interesting. It's like the egg price stuff, right? Is no matter when they come down. Is I, I mean, I got four kids, right? So holy smokes, those kids will suck down some eggs in the morning, right? <laughs> and y- even if the prices have come down, you remember yeah. where they were, and that perception is something that you know, it, it, like anchors people to that to that memory of inflation. So everybody can point to the egg prices, even though if you go to the store right now, it's not so bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of uh, that fundraiser. Derek, President Biden gave a lot of praise to to Pritzker during the visit. Um, Biden said uh, Pritzker helped him win the White House in 2020. So how big of an ally would you say Pritzker's become to the president? Talk about that. Well, you know, Illinois isn't in play anymore. I mean, we're not a swing state. But um, Pritzker does form, uh, you know, a central place in that kind of blue wall that they talked about in the upper Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of a symbiotic thing. You know, Pritzker uh, certainly wanted the Democratic National Convention to come here. It's coming here. He perhaps was looking at it as a jump off for his own national ambitions, uh, perhaps to run for president, not this time, uh, but maybe down the line. And, uh, you know, he's full of money and he's got a lot of friends that are full of money. So yeah. all of that uh, helps the president and uh 
all of that helps uh, J.B. Pritzker as well. Don't you think he um, – I'm, I, so I'm put in mind of 2004 when Barack Obama, then the newly – uh, actually, he hadn't yet been elected. He was the nominee, the Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate, and he spoke at the Boston Democratic Convention and delivered that. There's no, it's there's not red Americans or red states, blue states, you know, uh, and and made a huge national splash. I think Pritzker's perhaps dreaming of uh, of a featured speaking role and making a big splash like that. Um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but. I had the governor in as a guest on my program a few weeks ago, and based on the conversation that we had, um, he and Joe Biden talk at least once a week, maybe more often than that. Oh, wow. And, and, and they see each other a lot. I think the, uh, Pritzker has taken a huge item off of the Biden campaign's uh, plate by guaranteeing that he's going to raise enough money to pay for the convention. Mm-hmm. And because he's got that multi-billion-dollar private fortune, the White House and Joe Biden don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry mm-hmm. about paying for this convention. And you know, often conventions end up at a deficit. So, yeah. so, so that's a huge item, and I'm sure the president's grateful for that. So we can expect our governor to get to get more national attention. It sounds like, right? Especially as we lead up to uh, the convention next year. And and while in town, I, I got to mention Biden also announced his pick to uh, replace Chicago's outgoing U.S. Attorney John Lausch. Um, Mike, who's April Perry? Uh, she. Uh Worked uh, in the uh, state's attorney's office, has, has worked uh, for state's attorney uh, Fox. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's a, a, a black woman who has uh, been, I think, the chief ethics officer uh, there for Fox. Um, and, uh, you yeah, know, she worked for 12, 12 years as a, a federal press, prosecutor. And has here been in and knows that U.S. attorney's office uh, from her service there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's she's the the first black woman to serve in that office. I know the president uh, was, uh, I'm sure, pleased with that. He's he's paid particular attention to that mm-hmm. uh, as he makes key appointments. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, this this uh, U.S. attorney's office here um, has been most identified in the public mind, I think, over the years with uh, with political corruption prosecutions and investigations. Um, and she's going to uh, she's going to inherit uh, two trials that are coming up on that score. Uh, former House Speaker Mike Madigan and former Alderman uh, Eddie Burke, who uh, was the longest serving member of the Chicago City Council ever. Yeah. So, you know, she's going to be in charge of that, presumably not going to make a lot of changes. I'm sure yeah. that team is in place. That trial's ready to go. Chicago School Board President Miguel Del Valle is stepping down as his four-year term expires. That's a big appointment for Mayor Johnson. Mike, do you think his pick will come under additional scrutiny because of close ties to the teachers' union? Yes, everything that he does with the school board is going to be uh, under close scrutiny. And they're watching like a hawk, aren't they? Yeah, but but uh, the the teachers' union has enormous sway within the Chicago City Council. I would imagine that. Whoever he picks is going to have smooth sailing and 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 will be ratified, and and it highlights the fact that uh, by 2027 he won't have any picks, uh, and and the the mayor will be out of the business uh, of uh, putting people on and taking people off the school board. Um, it's going to be fully elected, um, and you know the, the the general assembly this past uh, session in a little noticed uh, matter. Uh, paid, uh, you know, put together a map 
for the new uh, the new soon to be all elected uh, Chicago School Board. Mm. Um, paying close attention to all of that and having a big role in that map was the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, they're going to. My prediction is they're going to control and they're going to run the Chicago School Board. You know, if you stay around here long enough, um, everything seems to go in circles. Uh, when uh, Mayor Daley, Richard M. Daley, came in, he wanted control of the school system. He went to Springfield, got legislation passed to have it under his control um, so there couldn't be any of this buck passing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of um, – who was actually responsible for school, school yeah. success, school failure. Now we've kind of come full circle to where uh, the mayor is going to be able to say uh, it's a school board's fault. Uh, he can he can deflect yeah. uh, any school crises. And um, I, I don't know if it, it, it makes him more responsible to the public because it's an elected board. But that resp- that responsibility is also diffuse. It's mm. not focused on one person. Any speculation, Mike, on, on top candidates to replace Del Valle? I, you know, I haven't reported uh, yeah. that. I, 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 I don't. I haven't heard anything. I, I, I don't have that. But but le- le- if I could just say just for a moment, just say something about uh, Miguel Del Valle. I mean, I've known him for 40 plus years. He was the first uh, Puerto Rican, the first Hispanic uh, state senator. Um, he's uh, He's always been... Uh, you know, clean and uh, and honorable and uh, a decent guy, and um, he he was a good choice, I thought, by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, she originally appointed him, um, and his four-year terms expired. Uh, but uh, in terms of who uh, Mayor Johnson's thinking about, I'm I'm not sure. But it will be a close ally of the teachers' union. Mm. I you can count. Any on. ideas from you, Derek, as to who? Could I don't have a clue. Step in. Mm. No. We'll see. Well, uh, sticking with you, Derek, uh, the mayor's got another important pick coming up, and I'm talking about the next police superintendent. So where are we with that process? Well, the board, uh, the community-based board that is uh, doing the pre-screening process reportedly has it down to six finalists. Um, All of them have some relationship to the Chicago Police uh, Department or uh, some uh, experience within the department. Um, I'll give you the names. Larry Snelling is the uh, current chief of the Counterterrorism Bureau, and he's a former uh, Inglewood district commander. That's one of the toughest districts in the city. Uh, Ernest Cato II, or I should say the third, um, is a former counterterrorism chief who was a candidate uh, for the superintendency that got passed over the last time around, and he retired from the department abruptly last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we have... um, uh, three other candidates, Sean Barnes, who is currently uh, police chief in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, he also uh, worked for the uh, COPA office, the uh, police accountability office. Magdalia Baldness, uh, who is a CPD deputy chief now, mm-hmm. she was also finalist to be Evanston police chief. Uh, Angel Navales, who is uh, chief of CPD constitutional policing and reform. And uh, Donna Rowling, who is an attorney and commander of the Labor Relations Division. So we got some some diversity there, right? We three black candidates, two Latino candidates, one white candidate. Uh, two of the candidates are women. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Um, I don't know if there's any handicapping going on, but I would say Snelling or Cato, uh, if off the top of my head. Mm. Um, uh, Why? 
Well, because they have a combination of significant community support um, that has bubbled up, and um, they've worked in uh, the toughest districts in the city, and they also have that high-level counterterrorism experience uh, that's that's very crucial. Snelling also is said to be the uh, an expert within the Department on Use of Force Training and Constitutional Policing, which is uh, key to police reform. Uh, they seem to fit, they seem to fit, the, uh, fit the bill in that sense. Uh, not that the others don't, but they, they have deep experience. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The Civilian Oversight Commission, they're supposed to deliver the top three picks to the mayor by July 14th, which, I mean, that's two weeks from now. Uh, and he's supposed to pick one, but he doesn't have to, technically. Right. No, but I think he it, it's I, Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, and Rahm Emanuel uh, went away from the uh, chosen pre-screen candidates. Uh, so I think he probably will because he says he believes in this process. I, I was rather upset um, just personally. Um, you know, the uh, 19 alderman uh, complained that Brian McDermott, who's the uh, uh, CPD patrol chief, um, was not interviewed. Yes, and um, the, they wrote a, a letter. Yes, through a letter, and the uh, the commission kind of brushed that off as typical political interference. If you're having a transparent process and you want to hear from everybody, you don't want the opinion of these 19 aldermen. That seems to be, I mean, mm. what we call transparency. Um, uh, that that seems to be. Uh, Almost too big of a backlash um, because, I mean, they're transparent in saying this guy should have been interviewed. I don't see that as putting the thumb on the scale too much. You know, I think I, I think one thing worth noting is what what Lightfoot and uh, Rom did uh, in circumventing this process uh, is no longer doable. Brandon Johnson doesn't have under the new law that has created this community commission. Anthony Driver is the president of that's that's doing the screening. Uh, Who was not happy, by the way, with that? <laughs> no, he wasn't. He uh, was interjection by you know by the nineteen aldermen. Right, um, but uh, Brandon Johnson has to follow this process, so he has to pick one of these nominees that will be there by Bastille Day on July fourteenth, or uh, or have them go back and. Give him three more names. Yeah. Well, onto something very different, Ben. Uh, hundreds of thousands celebrated peacefully in Lakeview last Sunday at the, the Midwest's largest pride parade. But unfortunately, the next night, Lakeview residents say that hundreds of teens were causing chaos in the neighborhood. What happened there? I mean, uh, hundreds hundreds of teenagers came on the came on the public transportation system, ended up uh, at a street corner and hung out for hours and uh, uh, damaged damaged vehicles uh, and drinking in the streets, but there were only two arrests uh, throughout the whole process. And um, I mean, I think that 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 event and how it was handled by the police, um, what the police feel that they're able to do to control situations like that, what the police should do in situations like that. I mean, it, I think it speaks also to uh, the tough job that a new uh, a new uh, head of the police will have. I mean, Chicago is. Uh, is in a spot. If you talk, if you talk to police walking walking the beats, they they don't necessarily feel like um, like they are f- fully empowered all the time to to do things, uh, which could be a good thing. It prevents abuse of power. It prevents uh, it prevents police 
police from from acting abruptly, but also uh, it it begs a question of if uh, if if events like this that we saw in Lakeview uh, are, are can can happen again and with impunity, uh, which is not necessarily a good thing for, uh, yeah. for for folks who live in live in the community. I mean, I just saw a lot of chatter about this on on social media. Just uh, we are told that, um, and we've been told this for years that police, you know, monitor social media and and are on the lookout uh, for things like this, uh, civil disturbances. Um, usually, it's it's at the terrorism level, but now it's come down to. Uh, uh, these youth activities, but the police always seem to be caught off guard. They they they're caught off guard uh, when these things happen, uh, yeah. like on the South Lake Front at Thirty First Street downtown, mm-hmm. now the North Side. And um, I'm wondering if they should be reaching out uh, to some of these groups and trying to figure out uh, their communication so they can. Get ahead of the wave. I mean, even even in situations like this, even if they are get ahead of it, they see what's going to happen. There's a way in which what like what what's to be done? You know, what are you going to do? Crack down on teenagers and say, right? I mean, there and there's an aspect of well, if they're damaging cars and and bouncing up and down on my car, I would like them to do at least tell them, hey, get off. That, that's <laughs> that seems to be a sentiment of a lot of people who had vehicles in that yeah. area. But at the same I time, we, I mean, we need to we need to acknowledge the reality. The minute and a. a a white officer, let's stipulate it's a white officer getting out of a out of the car, putting his hands on a teenager, breaking windows, smashing up a car. Um, hundreds of uh, cell phones will instantly be on, and uh, and if you know it, and so every officer sees his pension disappearing, and uh, sees himself mm. suspended and facing uh, multiple lawsuits. That, that's why they that's why they don't get out of the car. And I mean, there's also an aspect of it that goes goes beyond that to when you interact with when you interact with someone as a police officer. Right. There's what what's going to happen in that interaction. Well, somebody punches you es- in the nose and then you could it escalate and yeah. it escalates. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a hot mess. However, you slice it right. uh, that night in Lakeview. Well, I don't want us to run out of time before acknowledging that after 50 years on the Chicago politics beat, Mike Flannery, you're retiring. I am retiring. Congratulations. I'm going to join Derek Blakely in uh, becoming permanently unemployed. We're going to, uh... <laughs> Ten mayors, eight governors. I mean, five decades. What, what stands out to you if you had to pick one thing? <laughs> well, it was uh, the period that the, uh, a, a brilliant comedian named Aaron Freeman dubbed Council Wars uh, with Darth Verdoliak and, uh, and, and and a whole cast of characters that he uh, took from City Hall um, that, you know, people said I, I had several people say to me last uh, last winter during this uh, recently uh, completed mayoral election. Oh, the city's on fire. There's so much. Everybody's at polarized here. I said, Really? I remember 1983 when Harold was first elected, Harold Washington, and 1987 when he got reelected. The voter turnout was 90 percent. Hmm. This time it was what, 38, 36, 38 percent? Yeah, something like that. The city's not on fire. Um, uh, that, that, was, that was a far more intense, far more polarizing experience to cover as a journalist than anything yeah. I've done during the Trump era uh, or or during the Brandon Johnson uh, versus uh, 
uh, Lightfoot and Vallis. Paul Vallis yeah. era. Uh, you know that that was a searing experience. Uh, uh, and you know, if 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 I were going back over the fifty years to find something that illuminates the current moment, you know, it would be that. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember going to dinner, and um, and having uh, this guy who had been overserved coming up, uh, just coming up to me as I'm sitting eating dinner, and start and takes a swing at me. Fortunately, he was so drunk he fell over. <laughs> but you know, it, that that's the yeah. That's well, the way it was. You got a question on YouTube. Any parting advice, real quick, for for folks who are still going to be covering politics in this city? What well, would you say? Yeah, I, I'd like to. As important as it is to pay attention to your bosses and to the people in the newsroom, um, I, I've always tried to to, uh, to solicit feedback outside outside the newsroom and uh, to connect with people out, outside. Uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think that's that that's the advice I'd give somebody, uh, you know, listen to what people are saying. Uh, they uh, particularly when you're in the TV business, as Derek knows, your life is sort of a rolling focus group. Right. Uh, people come up to you uh, with with uh, saying things. And then if I, at the state level and, and, and even in the metro, so one thing, a baleful development of uh, uh, something that really does pain me is, uh, you know, picking up on one of the some of the current terminology the news deserts that are developing yeah. um, out in the suburbs uh, and and in downstate where there are where there are clusters of six and eight and nine counties where there's nobody covering the county board there's nobody covering the city council there's nobody monitoring yeah that has to change what's going on yeah it's that's that that's a that's a baleful development and uh, you know that dog on Facebook and uh, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You know, the, well, I, I like speaking of the Canadians. Um, let's 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 give uh, let's give them credit for an experiment. Um, they want to make Facebook pay uh, for uh, what they currently steal right. here in the U.S., which is the work of Ben, uh, Derek, and people like me. Yeah, they they steal it in the sense that people post the link. And uh, and and we get nothing. They're yeah. gonna in Canada. They're gonna start making Shout them out to pay, Canada. and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that works. All right, I gotta go. We're gonna leave it there. Shout out to you, Mike. Congratulations again, Thank Mike you. Flannery, Derek Blakely, veteran politics reporter, and Ben Kesling of the Wall Street Journal. Thank you all so much for being here today. Have a good weekend. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guffman, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Stephanie Kim. Catch the weekly news recap and all our shows from the week by subscribing to the Reset podcast. And when you do, be sure to share our show with someone who would love it. Your recommendation really goes a long way. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.